everyone and welcome to the American Scouser podcast. I am your host as always Timuchin here in Chicago and with us is the usual gang back to back three of us together. This is kind of special here. First off we have Bickler with us. I would say as always but not really as always lately. What's up Bickler? How's it going? It's going. Uh, I've been fighting the flu. Everybody in my house has had it. So happy holidays. I love this time of year. Yeah, that's the only thing. Jasmine came home just over the sickness. Thank God she didn't pass it. But yeah, when you're around kids like you are, more little kids who are in school, yeah, it's unavoidable. But only getting sick from his puppy is with us is Gally, as always. Gally, what's happening? Yeah, I no, you believe it or not, I actually have family and they have decided to have some offspring. So some people <laughs> brought some germ tornadoes to Thanksgiving in my family as well. And somehow Kelly ended up with the flu. So not only did I get to take care of her all weekend, I got to deal with the goddamn heathen as well all weekend because she was actually laid up. So I guess the dog got us both sick, or I just got sick of the dog because the kids got Kelly sick. Or probably both. Yeah, we just had Thanksgiving. Bickler, you had to have Alan is with us as always. What's up, Alan? Uh, I, I mean, you had Thanksgiving. You had to have a good Thanksgiving, right? Uh, Michigan won, so that had to make your weekend there, Bickler? Yeah, yes. The weekend was phenomenal. Michigan beat uh, the uh, evil empire in, in that armpit of the country called Ohio. Um, and it was, a, it was a great weekend. I, like, I had kids half the day Thanksgiving. Other half the day, I made a beer pyramid in the living room and went to sleep early. It was awesome. Sounds like a it's a, it's a Bickler Thanksgiving, if you will. Well, let I think la- yeah, I think last year it was I'm going to make a snow angel out of beer cans. And this <laughs> yeah. year he got a pyramid. So um, I can't wait to hear how Christmas goes. Yeah, moving down the list, all the, the common denominator is beer in the celebrations. That's about it. But let's get the trivia. So last week we talked about the trivia was World Cup and Liverpool at the same time. Uh, we talked about the most performances. So, and we said that, you know, Gerard had played in three separate World Cups. So this week's trivia, again from BJ, is name the other... Players from England who have played in three World Cups. Player or players who have played in three World Cups for England. Bickler and go. How many are there? Three? I never gave the number. No, he I didn't tell that. us whether I, it's tried. I, I like how you did that, but I'm not falling for it. You gotta tell us how okay. many. I'll, and I'll who name some. I'll go. I'll go. John Terry. He played a long time. I'll go. John Terry. F- Ferdinand. Um. Who is this current crop? Lampard. Oh man, that's all. I'll get. I'll get, get a shot. Those are the ones that, off the top of my head, jump out. Uh let's go with you over here. These are players yeah. that had to have played on the field. Maybe I should have specified that, but not that because uh, Lampard bad. made three World Cup rosters, didn't he? But only appeared in two of them. Um, I think that might be the case, but I was going to say Lampard, so I'll, I'll go down the wrong lane with 
with with Paul. I, I'm 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 good in that dunce lane with Paul. No, dude, I did uh, it for you, so you don't have to. I know, but I I genuinely was gonna say Lampard as well because I feel like him and Jared were almost tied at the hip their entire career. Um, but I don't know that he appeared in him. Well, I'm uh, BJ's liar over here, but I see Bobby Charlton, Gerard, and Henderson as who have played in three World Cups. John Not Terry didn't play in three World Cups. Henderson, obviously, when he made that substitute appearance is when he got that. Otherwise, he was at two until now. But Bobby Charlton is three with 62, 66, and 70. Uh, those World Cups there. I'm just that shocks me about John Terry. Was he injured during one of them? Or I'm assuming too, because that would have been my guess. I thought that was a good yeah. guess, even for Bickler. I thought that was quality. Uh, but yeah, good job, Bickler. Uh, but I think, yeah, I would have gone with that too. I'm assuming he was injured in one of them. Uh, otherwise, yeah, he feels like he has played uh, forever and he would have been on there. But I'm BJ's liar, so you guys are free to fact check at home. Uh, but BJ don't lie, so or I hope so. So that's what we're going with. Uh, so let's get to Liverpool news first. Talk a little bit about Liverpool because that's what we do, and then we'll go back to the World Cup and talk a lot about that as well. There's some topics I want to kind of like pick your guys' brain on, and obviously looking ahead to the most important games, I guess, like the third round of the group stages starts tomorrow. So the big news obviously coming out this week is Ward leaving at the end of the season. A lot of changes happening. Obviously people quitting. Bickler, I hear a lot of like people panicking, like what is going on and stuff like that. Is this, is it time to panic or is just kind of like one of those deals where when there's change on the top, there will be change along the lower tiers as well. I mean, I think there was going to be some change expected. I just, I mean, I don't think anyone can say that this was an expected change, though. Just because he's so new to the position, he they spent three times as long grooming him for the position as he's been in the position. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely not good. Um, I think it's interesting that they're choosing not to replace his position, but essentially just eliminate his position. Um, and... Um, I don't know because there's you know there's several key I mean the key people in in uh, data and scouting are stepping down too so it's it's very interesting across the board. Um, I would lie if I say if I said it wasn't worrisome. Um, I do think that the owners are incredibly motivated to sell now, and I certainly think that has a lot to do with it. Um, I think the timing is interesting. I think the timing of the fact that they're really pitching and basically saying that Billy Hogan is going to take on a lot of this responsibility as planned. And then it's coinciding with all these other people stepping down. Uh, that is a red flag to me. Um, that seems very, um, I don't know. I don't want to say it's because it, it's almost like to me, it almost reads like there is some underlying turmoil where the ownership, there's a disconnect between ownership and middle management where like ownership's like, this is our guy. We like this guy. He's going to be great. And then there are people that are working on the floor level that don't necessarily want to work with him. I don't know if that's true. It's complete conjecture on my part. Um, I just think that it's almost too big of a coincidence, but like I said, pure conjecture in my part, I am concerned. It's not entirely shocking because when we do know that there's ownership change, there's big change across the board. 
So we'll see. But you're what saying it's worrisome for the sake of consistency or yes. for the sake of who is going to make the decisions instead? Both. Both. Okay. How about you, yeah. Gary? Um, I think it's always been a brain trust in this entire, that's why that, you know, it, and I hate the transfer committee, but the process in which transfers and player acquisitions, there was always this like equal to, you know, moderate level between on field management being coaches, assistant coaches, field scouting, then the regional scouts. And then of course, kind of the penny pushers, right? The, the, the business and finance folks. So do I still think there's going to be, discussions in there that utilizes the same strategies and skills I do. So I'm not as worried as Paul because I do feel that there is a level of this that has a lot to do with the fact that the club, you know, it was great when everyone wanted to spin it, that this was just Ornstein running with a report way too early and they were just looking for investment. And then like, I always do, I'm like, be careful because when there's real smoke, you start to find out that the reporting is real. And then we started to hear more and more. And then you start to hear about the cracks inside. Then you hear about all of these people stepping down. This to me is a domino effect that is kicking on because the people inside the walls actually don't, think that there's any form of investment coming. They think there are new owners coming. And whether those new owners are American-based, whether those new owners are Saudi Arabian money, whether it's, you know, some English billionaire that we don't know his name, right? They're probably going to bring in their own people because billionaires don't buy puff projects like this and then keep all the regular people in place. So... You know, you're buying Liverpool, you get the manager. You don't have to keep the uh, talent evaluator, the head of football director of operations that only has one year of experience on the job. You know, there's there'll be the guys from Juve available. This is this is going to be real name people that come in. We won't get ex-Liverpool people. I think this whole regime as we know it is about to change. We're going to operate very much like yeah, a but if you're Ward. Why would you announce that you're leaving without even knowing how the... I mean, the way I took it almost is it's Ward feels like it's hard to plan long-term without knowing what's going to be long-term and not it, having it, it, any assurances in terms of, you know, okay, I'm going to invest, you know, making basically like making a more long-term plan with the uncertainty. But even then, why still leave without knowing how it's going to unfold? Well, because if you leave now, and, and I understand people say it's better to leave with the money. This guy won't be out of work if he wants to work, yet he says he's going to take time off. So maybe we have to take him at his word, and he actually is having some personal issues that he's going through in life. And, you know, I jokingly said we're just going to find out in a few months he wants to spend time with Stan Van Gundy's kids because that was always the joke when Eric Spolster steps down for the heat, that it was to go spend time with Stan Van Gundy's kids because, you know, he didn't have kids of his own. But the – I think these guys use excuses. What's worse is losing this job because the new owners don't feel you're the right fit. And I think this job isn't going to be easy. And I think they need a transitional piece in place. And I think this, I think this was them being really nice saying like, there's already been discussions. You won't be one of the brain trusts that survives this. So if you and step down now, odd that there must be some other reason like Bickler in terms of 
like what Gally's saying, like he's going to know. I mean, obviously, the new guys come and I understand what you're saying. You know, they're bringing the money in. So obviously they're going to want to change and bring their own people and only make sense. But for Ward to not kind of like play it out and see what happens, because he's going to get a job either way. So why announce it now? I almost feel like there is already some like kind of like what you're saying, either disconnect or disagreements in terms of what's happening. And he's not agreeing with what's going to be done until the end of the year. Cause otherwise, I mean, if the new owners come in and they remove Ward, it's not like it looks any worse on him to so everybody in the world. It's going to be clear. It's what you're saying. Gally. new guys come in with the money. They bring their own guys in, but if he just waits, I mean, there's nothing for him to lose. I just don't understand why the announcement and why now it has to do a lot about, I feel what we're planning to do in January. Any, any chance, maybe he, any chance that some of the unrest that Klopp showed towards the end of the window was that him and Ward just were not on the same page this summer at how they went about things. And Klopp finally said, you know what guys, I'm here with you, right? I've taken the slings. I've taken the arrows for you when you furloughed employees. I stand up for you. <laughs> like, as American owners, I want to be here. But me and this guy, we're not me and Michael. This isn't working. And, and that's, yeah. I, and I, I maybe mean, this, that's what I mean. It, it has to be more than just, oh, okay, the new owners are going to come in. I got to take my hat and bag and like cool. get going here feels like it may be a mixture of a little bit of both. And maybe it was also Klopp saying like, listen, if we know new owners are coming in guys, let's be real here. If we know that I'm going to need to take a bigger role and I have to have more say, I want more say, well then maybe we should let this guy know that like, we're going to push him out. So it come January, it's more Hogan making those deals and working these negotiations to Paul's point. And maybe Gordon and these guys just look at it. I just, there, there's so much change in unrest, but I will say this. I've, I know I've referenced the Red Sox when talking about FSG in the past. These guys are not afraid for big changes. They're not afraid to chop and change GMs, change whole structures, change whole plans for how they go about things. And to give them credit, they've built winners in multiple different ways in multiple different sports. So, you know, I don't put it past them to kind of right the ship and switch things up midstream if they feel that's what they need to do now because – it's a different landscape, I think, than it was a year ago. And having said that now, Bickler, I mean, how comfortable are you with that concept in terms of Klopp having a bigger part in making those decisions? I am really torn on this because while I feel like he excels in getting more out of guys, his loyalty over time kind of scares me in terms of, I mean, he talks about taking more chances like in the transfer market and stuff. And like I say, I really feel this is more about the disagreements and not being on the same page in these last couple of windows over like new owners coming in. Even if we came, went with FSG, I think this whole war thing was going to blow up one way or the other, it feels like. But Bickler, how comfortable are you with Klopp being more i mean he's not gonna sit down and do the contracts and stuff but obviously is he's gonna have more of a say in terms of making the decisions of who to get who to go after yeah i'm not entirely comfortable with it but i don't have a choice but that's i mean that's because i don't think you're against who a lot of people think he is like in terms of like everybody sees this this high-flying gang and press this aggression out of his sides they see uh, sort of uh, an exuberant 
character, you know, like Klopp's character. And I think they see those things and they think that's kind of how like that stuff translates into how he wants to do business. So I think it's going to be really interesting. What I hate about this is that I think Jurgen, a lot of times it's very hesitant to pull the trigger on players and add depth to a squad. And I think what's going to happen, like I, I really hate the fact that we're not going to get, <clears throat> we're not going to get a real clear indication as to whether that's true or not, because if we don't get players, if we don't get players, it's not going to be on Jurgen taking over uh, the majority of transfer decisions it's not going to have anything to do with that. The story is going to be, well, they're getting ready to, to sell, so they're not going to invest. That'll be the story. So, um, I mean, I hate the fact that I don't feel like we're going to get any clear-cut answers as to what's been happening behind the scenes. I do agree with Gally. I think the thing about Ward makes a lot of sense. Um, and, I mean, we'll, we'll see, right? I mean, I, I – you look at what he's done historically with sides, all from from Mines all the way up to Dortmund. He runs a small squad. He's always preferred a small squad. He's loyal to young players. He's always kept paths open for academy kids coming through, or young players. He picks he picks favorites. Like I mean, nobody likes to hear that, but he picks a, he picks favorite players, and in kind of beds them in and makes sure that there's room for them to grow. And sometimes that's that's the the, the crown jewel of what Jurgen Klopp does in other aspects, it's a critical flaw. And um, mm. I just, I, I worry about whether he's going to willingly go in, look at this and be like, look guys, we legitimately need three or four, like prime age midfielders. I don't think he has that in him um in terms of the way he operates and the way that he looks at squads and so that's a concern for me and and that's the frustrating part is i don't think we're going to get clear answers either way uh if 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 we choose not to invest yeah i mean it's a lot of speculation at this point anyway because obviously everybody's you know kind of taking the high road and then a lot is coming out in terms of like the whys and all that kind of stuff behind obviously the owner rumors are going to come out every day there's another one so i'm not even addressing those because i feel like it's kind of like a waste of time but um but gut feeling, I mean, that's what my thing is, is his loyalty could be a downfall when you're doing something like this. But at the same time, we don't know. Like, we don't know if he was after certain players and want to roll the dice and he will stop from it. Like I said, we don't know what happens behind the scenes. But real quick, Galley, gut feeling. With all this happening right now, the way things are unfolding, and obviously, like, the ownership, all the stuff. What is your gut feeling for January? Does this team invest or does this team kind of like hold their cards and say, oh, let's figure out this whole owner thing and everything like that first? Yeah, no, I think they invest. I think they spend money in January. I don't think they spend boatloads of money, but I think they bring in a body or two because I think it's needed. I think it's needed just to see the finish line of the season. And ultimately, they have to have a major marketing goal on being in the top four. Like they're, they're gambling like they did in the year with us with no center backs, right? They're gambling that this side can find a way to get them in the top four. Um, because if they're not in the top four financially, they have a huge, huge difference come the summer in what they can buy and who they can buy. If they're in the top four, they're selling at the highest possible point. In my opinion, Liverpool can be sold at right now. This year, no better time. If you're not in the top four, which is part of the reason I think they'd really like to have that sale happen before May 22nd. How about you, Bickler? Gut feeling, uh, does this team invest? And if they invest, I mean, do they get, 
guys that down the road he could be really good or do we get people that are going to go into the 11 man i wish i was as confident as galley like it makes like when galley talks about it, it makes a lot of sense like they almost have to like they almost don't have a, a choice like they almost they almost have to now i just i don't know man i'm not as confident they will and if they do i feel like it's going to be like these, these things like we saw with the center back situation where we got a guy on a deal that was like a loan to buy, like we can ship him back if we don't like him. Or, and I guess like part of me hopes that if Jurgen is taking more of a say in transfers, like we're avoiding those types of situations. Because I, I feel like those were the situations where like Jurgen wanted player A and B and player A and B aren't available, but Jurgen won't doesn't sign off on C, D, or E. So we're just going to give him one as a temporary solution since he won't. Here is F. <laughs> yeah. Here, right. is, Here's F. Here is Davies. Here's a hologram who may or may not be a real player. Um, I, I like, I, I hope we avoid those situations. I hope we do go out and spend, I hope we spend fairly big in key areas. I, I just am not confident we will. Yeah, I agree. I mean, aside from like Galley's reasoning of investing to, make sure we do go to the Champions League. I just don't see any other reason for them to be like, yeah, let's do it. I mean, I can see one or two players maybe coming in, but not, I don't know if spending big makes sense aside from the Champions League qualification concept. But did you ask, I mean, you asked if they were going to spend. Like, to me, this team could no, I get said, what better is bringing feeling? in. Are they going to spend or like, not? But but to me, we ask that question, and then they go whole entire summers without buying players. So I mean, to me, like this is: are they going to spend? Is are we going to bring in a body or two in January to help us see through the line? I think they will. Whether those are big bodies, you know, big names, I think more big names will move this January than ever before because clubs are going to be motivated to sell after the World Cup. You know. If if Monaco had let James Rodriguez come back and play three more months of mediocre football and then tried to sell him in January, they wouldn't have got anywhere near the amount of money that Real Madrid paid coming off that World Cup in 2014. There are going to Cody Gakpo is going to move in January because his value will never be higher. Uh, Danny Olmo might move in January because his value may never be higher. And I, I think you're gonna see that from some of the Italian sides as well. Um selling their players. I think that players that are going to skyrocket are the players from Africa because the players from Cameroon, the players from Ghana that everyone are finally seeing on a world stage, like the kid from Ajax, they're going to raise funds that these clubs can't turn down. And I think there's going to be some really good talent available in January, whether we spend for it. I don't know, but I think we have to bring in a body or two. I genuinely do. If not Ox Kata, these type people have to play because we can't finish the season with what we have. Well, I mean, the Ox and Keita thing is kind of really rolling the dice. And that's what I worry about. I just don't – I mean, I hope I'm wrong, but I'm more with Bickler. I think they would play it safe. And while they might bring a body or two, it's not going to be a body or two that we're going to be able to plug into the 11. And another part that scares me is how long it takes for Klopp to work people into the 11, especially in the areas where we need them, which is like midfield. Uh, you know, it's one thing to plug in a striker and like roll them out there 20 minutes, 30 minutes and give them an opportunity or like a winger or something like that. But I think it's totally different in midfield. I mean, we saw what happened with Fabinho and even overall, even with freaking Thiago. So he does not 
like trot him out there until he's comfortable. And even if we beat him in January, I don't know when the hell that's going to be. Um, there's a ton of games, so they will get their minutes and chances. <sighs> I just worry. I hope you're right. I mean, I just, yeah, I, I'm pessimistic about this in terms of uh, them making like big moves. Because I think just getting somebody, I mean, if you're going to get another Arthur, I don't know how much of a good it does. Uh, or like, you know, somebody along those lines. It, it has to be somebody he, that is going to make an impact. If Arthur had played 10 minutes so far this season, it would be 10 less minutes I would have had to watch Curtis Jones. And therefore, I'd say it was a successful signing. But he didn't. I mean, not only no, that, but I mean, would, but it, you're be, saying, would it be a whole lot saying, different you, if Arthur played no, those 10 minutes instead of Jones, though? Yes, yes. I'd, I'd at least have upside to hope that there was something else. The point is, is you, you're saying... Is it worth bringing in a squad player to this side? Yes, because it no, that's not what I'm every... saying. That's not what I asked. My question was, what is your gut feeling? Will no, they do it or not? I think you all agree it's needed. I don't think that's a discussion. Are no, they going to do it? Is your gut feeling? A moment ago, you just said, is it worth bringing in another Arthur Mello if you just bring in Arthur Mello? I say yes. It's worth bringing anything into this team that makes it deeper because then I have to see less of the dead wood that is on the fringes of it. Our biggest problem is the squad isn't big enough and we ask players who aren't quality enough to play roles in it. So maybe we do need a player or two to let Jordan sit a little more because this is the thing. None of those three guys are getting any younger between now and February. So for me, if you don't bring in someone else, then your aspirations of being in the top four, unless things drastically change, aren't there because I don't see Harvey Elliott and, and Curtis Jones dragging us over this line if we happen to lose Jordan for eight weeks. And I feel like that's inevitable that that's going to happen in the second half of the year. That's my whole point here. It's not just buying a big name to start. We need players three through six in our midfield. And that's the scariest part to me. We need three, four, five, and six on the depth. Yeah, chart. but they're not. I mean, here's the thing. If you bring another Arthur, I'm not even comfortable that he's starting over Jones. Knowing that, then, that, and then this comes back to this is a whole nother aspect of what who we're buying or what we're buying. It, if I could buy Tillemans, I would. I'd spend twenty five million dollars and I'd bring him in because he's Premier League ready. He plugs in. I don't think he's the guy we all wanted two years ago, but he makes the team better. He wouldn't start every week, but he could start in the Premier League if we needed him to, and yes. and I'd feel confident if he came in. So that's the type of player I feel like we should be in on. The Larimer guy would be great. He's going to the he's going to Bayern. It looks like it's off the table. There's got to be some players like that across all of Europe that we could find that maybe Jurgen Klopp has enough faith in. You know, I just hope that there's one or two out there. Because if not, I mean, yeah, I mean, I join in the hope. I, like I say, my gut feeling is no. Right, just knowing like by history, but I hope so. I mean, I think we can definitely all agree that it's definitely needed. And let's see really? if it happens with everything that's going on right now. Oh, not trivia, but here's another thing. Let's hope we can all freaking agree on. Is it called soccer or is it called football, Bickler? And who the fuck really cares? Uh, apparently, the only ones that really care are Americans because we're insistent. <laughs> on being right, even if we come centuries after other people on it. Um, it's football. That's what the rest of the world calls it. It's predominantly played with your feet. It's a sport where if you touch it with your hand and you're not a goalkeeper, bad things happen. Football makes sense. Soccer doesn't make sense. Uh, it also doesn't make sense that we call 
the NFL football in this country football, considering the fact that you only rarely touch it with your foot. Um, and I like both sports. So it's not that I don't watch American football. And I mean, I don't know. Like I say soccer half the time here just because, if not most of the time here, just to be able to differentiate it so people know what the heck we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I don't care. I mean, if it's in the language and it's referred to as soccer, I just more aggravated and annoyed and probably a little frustrated, Gally, about why isn't even an issue because it almost looks like, like, like Fox and all these stupid things you see, the chance you hear, it's like, you're not going to change the fucking world. So if you want to say, hey, we're going to call it soccer, that's fine. But it's not like everybody's going to be like, Americans are right. We should call it soccer. Okay. Are we really going to take this even slightly serious? And what I mean by this is I think both sides are absolutely fucking wrong and stupid about this. I do. I think it's just stupid. I think the idea that anyone gets pissed off that Fox spent a billion dollars and markets a sport within their borders with the name in which they call the sport that young little kids play it from the time they're little. We call it soccer. No one was taking me out on a football pitch when I was a kid. They didn't. I like that I'm learning the better terminologies, and I agree. I refer to it as football most of the time. But ultimately, if you're trying to market a sport and grow a sport within your borders. You don't confuse 12-year-old kids by calling the field a pitch. You don't, unless you're ready to actually teach them the whole thing. So in this country, it's a soccer field. It is. In this country, it's a soccer ball. It's a soccer game. So if Fox wants to market what they paid a billion dollars for, I don't blame them. I really don't. The Americans in Qatar chanting, it's soccer, not football. Get the fuck over yourself, and why did you waste your goddamn money going to a World Cup in fucking Qatar? Idiots, it's here in four years. Go to British Columbia. It is ten times nicer. Save up for four years. That said, again, people banter shit everywhere. The shit that is said at football matches all over the world, both good and bad. But can can people just get off their high horses? Stop bitching at the Americans for calling it soccer. Stop bitching at the American announcers for saying it's 0-0 and not nil-nil. Again, they're broadcasting to an American audience. Like, And that's the thing. The language part doesn't offend me or aggravate me. I was more no, aggravated about why do. like, it's even like an issue, why they would even kind of like – they almost like pushing the issue here. It's not but, even like we're calling it soccer. And I understand why they're calling it soccer, but they're pushing the issue. That's the part I don't get. They're pushing the issue, but it's also everywhere on every single Facebook post. Basically, everyone from all over the world that all live here, by the way, ripping on the coverage of this World Cup, which I hope we get to because I think it's abysmal. But ultimately, like you're watching a sport on U.S. airwaves and complaining that it is being broadcast. And, and honestly, this is where it comes from, because for every amount of. Goddamn Americans, just shut up and take your sport. We didn't try to rename baseball. You could have, right? You could have just called it boring. But it's, I do. It, 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 <laughs> like, there is no, there is also the, you know, we talked about it on this podcast. There is a air of, there is an air of arrogance against everything that is considered American in sport. And as more Americanized things happen overseas, we talked about it with the stupid owner of Chelsea bringing up all-star games, right? And then just throwing a holy fucking hiss fit. Like, oh my God, why are you Westerns even trying to come ruin our sport? 
and then they come hammering down. So what happens? Like the supporters defend. So the United States, they don't have anything to hang on other than our women's team used to be better than all yours. And now not that doesn't even happen anymore. So they decided to start a stupid chant. Why? Because they don't have any legitimate good ones of their own. We all know how much I hate the U.S. men's national team. I hate half of their fans as well. But the truth is, this is the dumbest argument in my opinion. Because honestly, everyone sounds stupid. No matter which side you argue, I think you actually sound dumb. But I think the sport should be trying to be grown. Is that it's just freaking like feels that bias. I I don't think anybody. I'm with you there. Yeah, I don't think it like, comes over and says uh, it's nobody's really saying, "Oh, it should be football, not soccer." I mean, get over yourself. It's the language over here. It's oh, you well, guys call it pitch, we call it field, whatever. It's the language. It's you know, we were talking before the podcast, like you know, Victor was saying, "Tomato, tomato," whatever. The, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter. That part should not matter. I just don't understand why they would. Is it Bickler just a you know, like just drive something to roots for? You know, like just come up with a chant or a stupid like public line to kind of like root for. I, I think that's I think the majority of U.S. supporters aren't very intelligent in terms of like the actual game itself, and that's my problem with it. If you have the rest of the world basically calling us entitled and stupid, don't come up with a chant that is entirely entitled and stupid. Like that's my major problem with it. Yeah. Like, right. like, dude. Like, we're not. I, I mean, yeah, he's right. Both sides look bad, but like, it's certainly not helping us to come up with just the dumbest, most entitled thing we could possibly come up with. Um, so, like, it, it's stupid it's, all around. It, it really is a non-starter. It doesn't matter. But I, I think that that kind of stuff invites the hatred. It invites the sort of anti-Western sentiment that we see in big pockets of the world. But it doesn't. Yeah. Does does it invite the hatred any less than Neymar flopping on the ground and rolling around like he's been shot? Because honestly, every time I have to walk into a place and try to get people to to come to the TV and to come to the aisle to break bread and understand that this game is beautiful if you watch it and you learn about it and you understand it better, to Paul's point, try to educate the novice fan who loves sports, they throw back in me about all these other idiosyncrasies about other aspects of the world. I actually had, I read on Facebook from someone who was actually like a foreign fan saying it was so refreshing to watch the United States play England because they felt like two sides played, like literally played football all match long without rolling on the ground, without diving all over the place. And I will say the, the match was pretty physical and the players to a man stayed on their feet for most of it. There wasn't as much theatrics. But to me, that was just another way of taking a shot. That's like taking a shot at CONCACAF or taking a shot at the African Cup, you know, the African nations and how they're handling them or attributing themselves or taking a shot at diving South Americans or hooligans from England. It's a pretty goddamn broad stroke we constantly paint. Yet we do this all over the world. And then we wonder why we send everyone to the middle of the freaking Middle East in the desert in the middle of the freaking winter. Why they're not all just singing Kumbaya and fucking hanging out and having a good time. Like, you can't do this unless people start to, like, have a common bond. And normally the World Cup is that common bond to, like, get past all of this trivial shit. And I don't know if it is the backdrop or it's just a product of the times we live in now that maybe things like the World Cup or the Olympics can't mask 
just how fucking terrible human beings are as as sorry for my rant i'm sorry guys no, i just I mean, went a little it, it's probably not bonding people together because you don't have alcohol sales let's be real <laughs> I think. I mean, it is a good point. That's why we like each other. Yeah, I would buy that Neymar thing maybe ten years ago when people complain about soccer, about you know players and stuff. If anything, I feel like American sports have learned from this because you see, I mean, linemen now like flopping around, like guys who are like three hundred and fifty pounds falling over, like they just like every sport. You see basketball players flopping over the place. It's totally changed the American sports. I didn't think it's you saw it as much. I think they're like, hey man, they're getting calls. We should do the same shit kind of deal. But I think you're right. I mean that's like the biggest thing. In the past just the country factor was enough to kind of bring people together. And then, you know, you talk about this World Cup, and I mean, we talked about it before. We talked about it in the morning show, about, like, the circumstances and stuff like that. Sadly, you look around the world, I mean, not to get too deep, but nobody is squeaky clean. So it just becomes like a mud throwing contest. But I know somewhere we can all easily throw mud at is freaking the commentating and the studio at freaking Fox. I mean, it's it's a contest of who's more annoying, who you want to watch less. We but. should really we should really be doing a power rankings of uh, the commentators on the show. Who's more annoying? You know what? Next Monday, I think we should do a Hall of Fame of annoying, <laughs> annoying studio people and annoying commentators. I, yeah, I'm all for that. Next week, we should do that. It would be. I don't know. We might agree on a lot of things. We might disagree on a lot of things. I mean, we talked about some of the broadcasting stuff last week, but in terms of coverage, I feel like it is so vanilla. And, you know, you're talking about, you know, yeah, about all this money invested in this. I wish they would use it more to... I mean, that's the only reason I, you know, I'm I, I, obviously I'm Turkish. I'm not invested in the U.S. team at all. The only part of me that wants them to do well is so that this sport gets bigger over here because it will get more attention. But I wish the broadcast used the broadcast instead of freaking Lala's acting like a dick. It would be more about teaching the American fans about the game and some of the intricacies and some tactics and stuff like that instead of them just standing over there saying just stupid like same shit they say at every freaking halftime and just like nothing i feel like if i didn't know the sports i'm not learning anything from these broadcasts yeah so i'll I'll remove the you know the barclays premier league out of this conversation because i actually believe they've tried really hard to like not only inspire supporters but educate them on culture club you know verbiage everything right you just in the um, World Cup, fan. like this World Cup by yeah. itself. This World Cup is 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 absolutely atrocious. But but to be fair, like the CBS broadcast for the Champions League is a joke. The BBC halftime shows are all the exact same way, by the way. There's just it's a screaming pundit we can't understand, screaming and scouse <laughs> some shit that we don't get. And then you're like, oh wait, that's their Alexi Lalas. Oh, his name's Roy Keane. Um, like they just they just have a, a different version of it. So I, I, I don't want to like totally bash on Fox. Fox is terrible, but here's the problem. If they went out and hired ex foreign managers, if Arsene Wenger was on the desk, you know what we'd be getting every day? How come there's no American commentators to teach us about this American sport that's supposed to be growing? Our players want to know 
Like they know who Clint Dempsey is. They know who Alexi Lawless is good, bad, or indifferent. You know, it's too bad for me. The best broadcast duo is the female announcer who I don't know her name and Warren Barton. And they've been stuck doing the 5 a.m. matches every single morning. And no one in America is actually watching them. And they've been really good, actually. Like, it's been, they've gotten shitty matches, but they've had really good commentary. Her call for the goal um, in the Argentina game was, like, an outstanding play-by-play call. And you could tell she had good passion. She has good chemistry with Warren Barton. Kobe Jones been okay. I think if any of the Americans has, you know, pseudo covered themselves in glory maybe it's kobe jones because at least he acknowledges that like i played this game 20 years ago it's changed a lot i didn't get overseas but when i trained with those players i saw this like he acknowledges the difference between the levels and what he understands what i can't handle is is landon donovan as maybe the greatest um one of the greatest american players ever talking to me as if he's one of the greatest football players ever and that to me is where I I just call bullshit because honestly I'd rather listen to Eric Winalda because at least that son of a bitch is entertaining. I mean, yeah, I I really don't care about. I mean, like I say, to me, it's just more about helping the sport grow. I don't know if they're helping it at all. I mean, we talked about some of the in-game stuff. I just like don't like to. Trevor says, "Hey, don't sleep on a shitty sleepers being up for the five a.m." Trevor in the, our morning. By the way, we do have. Uh, the morning coffee show back in action every morning. Uh, we are doing the World Cup edition right now. And Trevor represents by watching the 5 a.m. games where I just roll out of bed uh, before the show. So I do miss those. I mean, I wish it was more about, you know, educating. But would that make boring TV, Bickler? Is that why they're doing? That just does not get ratings. Because it becomes I mean, no, we've done education. it in every other sport where it's I mean, we talked about how the NFL did a great job of that with Madden and stuff. So no, it's not boring. It's just I think it's just I think this fascination with ex players um it doesn't always translate like on, on the screen. Like I think I don't think it's and I don't even think it's a, like uh a general public fascination. I think it's a TV executive fascination with yes. like getting ex players. Because like I said, like for every dud on the there's like plenty of duds in the NFL on their broadcast. There's only one Tony Roma who absolutely slays it every time. Right? I mean, and I think you can have one in there, but like for the most part, like our best um our best announcers when we talk about ex managers, like we you know, Madden changed the game for a lot of us. But like I, I do think there's some I think I, I don't understand why we can't get journalism kids, kids that like aren't that are, are actually trained to, to tell stories and to really write the narrative and to understand the underlying woven fabric of putting a game together um, in spoken word. Like, I think we've lost a lot of that. And when we've just gone, um, we've gone away from sort of the art, <clears throat> the art of it, excuse me, the art of it and gotten really into the, the personalities. And, and unfortunately when you take that gamble, you get things like Landon Donovan, who is just as a person, isn't that great? <laughs> like, just, you know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, I hate to be a dick, but he's not. He's like that in real life. Like, um, he, he's just, uh, he just he's is a little dull. Yeah, he's just a little dull. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think, I, I also think he's a little arrogant, like, in, in real yes. life. Like, Entitled. Yeah. Yes. Yes. He's a prick. Yep. And I, that, tra- that translates. And it's so, like, and Clint Dempsey, <laughs> and Clint Dempsey literally was a dunce. He's a dummy 
from an outside of Dallas, small community, grew up bigger than life, got everything handed to him. He worked his ass off. He was a poor kid. That's where all the hip hop stories and all the, all the stories about him come from of why all his teammates loved him in England. You know why? Cause he showed up and those guys in England couldn't understand. It was like Harry Kane was speaking. They were like, what the fuck is this fucking Texan saying? And then we all hear him. We're American. And we're all like, what the fuck is this guy saying? Like he just mumbles. He just deuce. And then like, what do you think about that, Deuce? And he's like, ha, 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 ha. let's talk about goals. And yeah, I'm like, I, what's happening here? Yeah, and then we got, you know, like Tim Howard, bless his heart. He's like freaking dyslexic and has learning disabilities. And we're putting like lineup cards in front of him and asking right. him to read off a cue. You got Stuart Holden. He's retired from concussions. I like him because he's on the same mental level as me. But like, I mean, that stuff like all has to go across a general TV audience. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. It's just become – I literally have watched the last four or five games on, like, Telemundo and stuff because I'm like, you know what? Yep. I, I, I rather not understand what the hell is going on, uh, and I'm actually improving my Spanish. So pretty soon yep. I might be able to understand that. I have, will have to find a different language probably, but at least it helps me improve my Spanish. I'm like, oh, that must be that and stuff like that. So slowly get in there, slowly but surely. I mean, it's the same crap. Like, I know – I think once you listen to it a lot of times and maybe the same voices – do start to get old too because i find the same stuff in like turkish and stuff too and i think part of it is all these guys try to become i mean we talked about this about referees in the past in terms of trying to be bigger than the game that they're announcing or they're like refereeing or whatever so almost like overdoing the talking overdoing everything which makes it like unwatchable but Having said that, there have been some like good games. The second round of games are done, which in the group stages, the second round games are like usually the best. The first one is KG. The second round is the best one. And the third one, uh, not as good at times because somebody's uh, draw is enough for them and stuff like that. I remember the good old, I'm old enough to remember the Germany-Austria game for those of you who watched uh, passing the ball back and forth for like 90 minutes to get a draw. Probably the, one of the most disgusting performances in World Cup history, by the way. But um, so, Bickler, let's start with you. Uh, give me real quick a team that has impressed you and a team that has, well, not depressed you, but uh, disappointed you. Let's go with that. Uh, I'll start disappointment wise. Um, the Netherlands, that's, uh, that's a team that I always pull for. Um, and I just think they've just been bang average across the board. Um, and not particularly exciting to watch either. Um, in terms of teams that surprise me, um, there's a few nice ones out there. Um, I don't know about the Valencia injury. I'll stay in group a, but I think Ecuador looks real, real nice. Um, my boy enter Valencia, baby. And I'll say, you know, Senegal is a real tough team. So that third game is going to be really interesting. But I think if Ecuador can squeeze a draw to that or better, and they sneak into the round of 16, I think Ecuador is a team kind of like that Colombia team in the 2014 World Cup that could that could make some real noise. Yeah, I, I do like them as well. I mean, Valencia plays for Fenerbahce, obviously. From what I hear, he's okay. And they were already almost like rumors that it was a little bit of gamesmanship. Uh, I think he's basically, like I say, he's one of those guys on that team that he only comes out when he says, 
and I'm done. And that was him saying, I'm done for this game. And that's why he came out. I hear he's going to like start and he's fine. Because obviously, Fenerbahce fans follow really closely how healthy he is. Uh, Gally, how about you? Give me a team that has disappointed you and one that you've been, I guess, surprised or impressed with. So one that's disappointed me, and it's it, you know, it's more because I actually expected a lot from them, if not like a deep run. Um, I, I really thought that this Denmark team had a perfect draw. I thought, you know, p- most people don't realize, you know, France has lost twice and I think it's three times in 50 something competitive matches. And two of those were in the nation league less than a month ago, playing their best side against Denmark. They almost just matched up so well with them. And then, you know, you could almost see that um, in the draw that they had or in, in the one nil loss that they had the close loss, the, so Denmark to me, would be my big disappointment. Cause I really felt like they were going to, that they had a legitimate shot if they could take points off France to maybe even pip and win the group. Um, so Denmark was one as far as the team that's impressed, um, you know, I'll say Brazil and allow you to say Spain, Timuchin. We talked about it earlier today. I think we both could say either of those two. I I will say Brazil from the standpoint that I questioned their makeup. I questioned whether or not they would completely come together as a side and as a team and as a unit. And they look really, really, really good. And, you know, I I said earlier in our Discord channel, I, I genuinely expect Barring a major injury or a major setback, I, I think Brazil lifts this trophy at the end of it all at this point. As long as Neymar I, is constantly injured, I'm good with that. But, you know, if the man who used Neymar's to love ankle, Brazil, if Neymar's ankle is three times his normal size, I'm good with that. Apart from that, ugh, I, I would hate to see Neymar lift that trophy, to be honest. But uh, for this appointment, I'm going to have I agree with Netherlands. I mean, I was going to say Belgium. Just because, you know, you almost keep waiting for it, but maybe should not be surprised or disappointed at this stage because it's business as usual for them. And I think Martinez is like a big part of that uh, fiasco as well. But, I mean, you just see the overall mood in the team and what's like players are saying and stuff like that. They look like they legitimately hate which is wild at the national level. Yeah, I know. I, I made that comment about, about De Bruyne. I said, I swear to God, the man, I've never seen the man enjoy himself on a football pitch. Yeah. For someone who brings everyone in this world who watches this sport so much joy, I've never seen someone more miserable. He hates himself. He hates his red hair. He hates his friends. He hates his mom. He hates his teammates. He hates the official. And he surely hates the opponents, right? Like, he hates everything. That's why it fits in. It fits in your model. That's my boy. But right, you're like waiting for him to just get off the pitch and be like, "All I want to do is go hang out with Patrick Bamford." We played Leeds tonight. We're gonna go have a few bottles. We're gonna have a couple boxes of wine. We're just gonna fucking bang this out. But I mean, the comments he made about Vertonghen or about the defense, and then the fact that Vertonghen actually had the balls, and that's what I love about like when you have veterans like that. When you're starting 153-year-old dinosaurs at your back line, like, they're not afraid to, like, take shots at you and be like, dude, who the fuck are you? Like, um, you've been leading this golden generation that's done nothing the whole goddamn time, man. And that's the thing. It wasn't even like, and he was right in that criticism firing back because it's not like, you know, oh, they considered an early goal. 
and you know all like they you know Morocco's got to sit back. I mean, they basically could not score and create anything that would result in a goal. And by the time they got scored on, it was like seventy third, seventy fifth, something around there. So he was right with the because I think, like I say, maybe we should not be surprised that they have been disappointing. You just feel like. This has to be the time, right? I mean, it's kind of hard to get all these guys that are on that squad and get these results. Like, you can just probably get the squad and just, like, throw darts and come up with the 11 like that, and you would think they should be able to play better, but they just don't. Uh, for Impress, yeah, I mean, Spain, to me, plays more... I mean, out of all the teams you watch, I feel like play, Spain plays the most like a club team. It looks like everybody's used to each other. Some of, like, the... Like the interplay they do, some of them like leaving the ball to the other one, coming under like the wing and stuff like that. It feels like they've been playing together forever, like a club team. Whereas, you know, you watch most international teams, even though the players are obviously top level, you see a lot of like disconnects or I thought you were going to make the run and stuff like that. Just a matter of like not being used to each other. I feel like as I watch Spain and I'm like, Jesus, like it looks like these guys were in camp for like a year. And I know it helps when the core is playing together. Uh, but, I mean, that Spanish team is going to be good for a while to a lot of, like, great young talents on that team. And, yeah, I mean, Spain with France. I know everybody's going with France, and main reason is Mbappe, and they looked good as well. But I have to say, like, you, when you watch the game and you're like, oh, wow, and they really should have finished off Germany, really, because you know if you let the Germans hang around, they're <laughs> eventually going to score, which they did. I was going to ask you, so we go into – you know, the next four days we have the, you know, elimination matches. Do any of the big hitters go home? Cause I don't know why in my core, I was so excited when like Japan had the big upset over Germany and then and Argentina lost. I thought to myself, like, maybe this is the world cup where four of the 16 are literally smaller side nations. Like there's some type of wrinkle and we have a, a, a long run by a Serbia or some team at the end of the day, I, for whatever reason, I have this gut feeling that the balls will shake and like we'll still find Germany get through because they score nine against Costa Rica and they go on goal difference. Or like I just feel like it'll be all the big sides getting through, except for maybe like you know, Ecuador and the shitty United States national team. I mean, that's the thing. I don't Japan really blew their opportunity on that one. I think that was the group, and I really you look at that now and you think you know, Spain will beat Japan and you would think Germany should be able to beat Costa Rica. But then again, after the first games, I thought Costa Rica was the first unofficially team, like out of the cup team uh, with the loss they suffered and the way they suffered it. But I guess a Spain was that good and B Costa Rica was not that bad. But uh, having said that Bickler have, has your finals prediction changed after the first two rounds of games over here? Uh, no, no, I think, I mean, the major shakeup you could possibly see, uh, I don't know. Uh, I think like Belgium is always kind of one of those fringe teams. They might not make it through, but I think Argentina is in trouble. I mean, they've got to come out and play. They've got to come out and, 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 and win that game and play well. Um, so I could see, I mean, I could see Argentina, getting bounced here but those are really the only two spots i mean i think if you look at this right i think i think we could all kind of sound i think we all pretty much agree looking into this tournament if you're looking at brazil spain france um 
those were sort of the big kind of headline favorites, right, in, in England in there. And I think all those teams are still going to be in the mix. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if England plays at all, you know, with any form of squeaky bum, with just the plain fact they have to play Wales. You know, it is a derby. These 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 guys will be up for it. I do think as bad as Wales is, they'll give England everything they have tomorrow at 2 o'clock. I genuinely believe that because if those guys could ever – it's almost like qualifying if you send them home. Yeah, and I don't know if the familiarity will make it more challenging for England. So that's going to be interesting to see. I do like that the games are at the same time now. And obviously, has your final prediction changed, by the way, Gally? Or are we rolling with what we got? No, I, no not really. I mean, I'm pretty much in the same boat. I was pretty much picking the, like, I wanted to see how the brackets roll out because you can't really pick a final till you know who's playing who in head-to-head matchups. But I, I believed it would be one of, you know, France, England, and um, Brazil. I guess I'll add – I'll firmly add Spain into the mix now. I will say this. This is my uh, – my sneaky, in, you know, intuition is, is that the real star that comes out of this World Cup will be a guy who's been a star every chance he's ever been able to manage on the bright lights because all the fucker does is win and then seems to like turn down jobs and then walk away. I think Luis Enrique walks out of Spain looking like royalty no matter how far they go because he's doing this literally with kids and still doesn't have a striker. He's got like backup goalkeepers. And if they can make it to the semifinals, finals, or even win a World Cup, I think he literally becomes the highest paid manager in the world. Hey, yeah, at a I'm club level. Just watching that team is a joy, really. Like, it's really beautiful football to watch. I mean, over the last two games, and obviously the first game was kind of like a blowout. It was almost like, looked too easy. But now you see what they did against Germany. And I know Germany is not as good as the normal Germany maybe we're used to, but it was, like, really impressive to watch them. So it's going to be interesting. And by the time we do our podcast next Monday, um, half of the round of 16 games are going to be over. So we'll have those four winners here, and it should be interesting. We'll have more uh, Lalas and freaking Dempsey to look forward to. And then, yes, next week, I agree, we should do a Hall of Fame of annoying maybe studio and we should do a separate like a studio and announcers are we, uh, are we just lot. talking there might be a three-hour episode there are, are we just talking uh football are we talking soccer are oh, we talking shit. any We're, sport no i'm just it's not soccer now, it's football first of all galley <laughs> we hey, covered this i thought you, you, didn't, you know well you someone's didn't american this, cover this <laughs> um what's the final score tomorrow in the USA Iran game. Bickler, we know you're Iran. a huge fan of the US men's team. <laughs> what are you predicting? 2-1 Iran. I'll pronounce it correctly. I don't want to die. Um, yes. I think... By like, the way, I didn't mean to cut you off, but speaking of being dying, the dude who ran onto the field today... Oh, he's uh, for sure. ...during dead. the game will probably he's, be yeah, this hero. And I don't, we're not even going to know who killed him. It could be the Russians. It could be Qatar. It could be Iran. It could be I just want to know, like, because generally people have enough connection in their life where they have some family and friends. Even if you don't have family, you have some friends in your life. I just want to know that conversation, like, yo, I'm going to do this. Like, somebody had to be like, okay, dude, but, like, like, who do you want your stuff to go to? Like, because, like, <laughs> well, you're going to say you're going to die. 
You ever go on a vacation and you know you're in trouble? Like, I knew I was okay when I went to Liverpool because Megan doesn't drink and she was going to babysit me the whole time, right? But, like, if I was going there to just <laughs> hang out so with Kazi for... <laughs> if I was going to hang out with Kazi for 72 hours in Liverpool, I would have I fucking done a will and had it notarized, right? Mailed yeah. a copy to my mom. But, like... I knew I was okay. This is like going on spring break to Miami or spring break to like the worst resort in Mexico, deciding to go off fucking the reservation to find Coke, getting to the worst area and then being like, and on top of it, my plan is to sleep with the drug czar's fucking daughter. Like none of this makes that any sense. Off of like Bickler's last vacation, by the way. <laughs> Miracles happen. <laughs> the fact he got back, but giving I, I just did for the Iran game. So what was their score? Two one Iran winning. Two one Iran. Yeah, I think I, I think I think legitimately that's a really good side. We talk about these countries. We talked about the way Spain plays. I think when you get some of these Middle Eastern countries and some of these larger countries that are like geopolitically are are out there and have vast territories and smaller populations. Those players know each other since the time they're like eight years old and play together. And you can see that with this Iran team is full yeah. of guys that play internationally. They play like that starting 11 is like in eight different leagues across Europe. And they're all in their like mid to late 20s, early 30s. It's a very experienced team. They play really well together. Yeah, I mean, same thing with Saudi Arabia. I was talking about that yeah. on the morning podcast that like eight yeah. out of the 10 guys on the field are like I played together in Al Hilal and club and stuff like that. So they're very familiar with each other. So, Galia, what's your prediction? You are the U.S. man. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. I'm the one that yells and gets pissed about him. Um, See, Bickler's at least indifferent. He doesn't even yell. He, he couldn't care. Yeah, so I, I get frustrated because I, you know, I, I'll say this. I expect them to blow it tomorrow. Because I'm a U.S. men's national team supporter. I've been watching them basically blow it for the 45 years that I've been on this planet. Blow decisions, blow hirings, blow... Like, they make mistakes. The best thing that could happen to them tomorrow, honestly, might be going down 1-0 early and having to push for a winner and play all match long coming at them. Because I think if they actually came out and played as aggressive as they did against England, which was far superior to how they played against Wales... I think they could get at Iran and create problems for them. I think their fear, because they are a bunch of young men, and that's all they are, are kids, right, trying to figure this out, I think they're going to play timid, and they're going to play it with the idea of just trying to, like, nick it late and getting a 1-0 win. And I think they have to go out there and play it like they think they're England and they can score six and make Iran feel like they're behind from jump. And I don't know they're going to be able to do it. Obviously, the crowd is going to be, you know, uneasy at best, um, as it has been for all their matches. So we'll have to see. Um, it'll be really interesting. I expect them to blow it, whatever it is. If that means being up one nothing and giving up a late goal, I never expected them to qualify here. But I will say this. If these, no matter how it is, if they find their way into the round of 16, this was a massive success for the U.S. men's national team to go over there to Qatar to play at 10 o'clock at night with a bunch of 20, with the third youngest group um, and only one player that's ever had a World Cup appearance. I think that's and it would be an enormous accomplishment for them regardless of what happens in the round of 16. And I think they would like the idea of playing Netherlands or Ecuador. So I hope that Saturday afternoon I have a U.S. men's national team match to go watch because it was a lot of fun.
I don't believe it's going to happen. Yeah, leave it to the Turkish guy to be more optimistic for you guys. But I see, I, I think U.S. wins this one, actually. Wow. Uh, it'll be a good wow. game. I know Alan is talking about red cards. I mean, not only this game, I think the last, the third game is, because if you're going out, I know about you guys, but I went out, you know, you got to go out with style. So I can see a lot of frustration towards the end in a lot of these games where there'll be cars and like red cards flying by. But we'll talk all about it next Monday, as well as obviously every morning over here at eight o'clock Eastern. No, eight o'clock Central, nine o'clock Eastern. These damn time zones. It's not soccer, it's football. Uh, but anyway, so it's not Eastern, it's Central. It's not nine, it's eight. Tuesdays around Wednesdays. So yeah, nine Damn you. every freaking morning over here. Uh, myself and Trevor always joined by a third party. Uh, we talk about the World Cup games every single morning. Uh, so join us there and join us next Monday as well. We'll see you then. Take care.